0: Good morning. Because Tony and I are a bit technologically uh, challenged, we couldn't put ink in the computer, uh, the uh, printer. So we. <laughs> so I'm reading from the Church Bible. Um, which is on page, and uh, it's John 14, on page 1675. Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going, going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me any anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to the world to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Be-
1: well, thank you so much, Sue. Let's let's pray. Our loving Father, as we stand on this precious sort of moment of listening into Jesus on the night before he died. And as we make our own journey towards Easter, please fill our hearts with understanding of you and a deeper, deeper sense of trust in you because we love him more. Amen. Okay so in your leaflet you'll have an outline of where we're going and the passage there. Now nowhere else in the Bible is so much space devoted to one conversation as in these chapters five whole chapters John 13 14 15 16 17 five chapters devoted to recording Jesus' final words to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. And this is precious because we get to listen in to the precious words of Jesus to his disciples on that night before he dies. Jesus' words in this chapter speak to us because Jesus is getting them prepared for the reality that he won't be around for them, not physically. Now that, of course, is normal for us, isn't it? We can't see him, he's not around, we can't eat with him, we can't converse with him, he's not physically here. Here in this chapter, Jesus gets his disciples ready for that reality. And here's Jesus knowing that crucifixion is literally now only hours away. This great horror for him. And yet he is spending his time selflessly comforting his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. But before we dive in, um, I want to ask the question, what are, we, what are we missing by Jesus being physically absent? We can't sit at his feet and learn from him physically. I mean, and if we could, how could we get near him? <laughs> He's got so many followers. We, we aren't able to see his miracles. We aren't able to see him on the throne, ruling. Or are there advantages for us, in fact, with him being away? Like the fact that his kingdom isn't limited to where he physically is at one spot on the earth. His kingdom, in fact, can now be global. It can be wherever people worship him as Lord. Well, if we think... We'd rather him be around Jesus' words of comfort to his disciples about him being away. They speak to us. If we're unsure what advantages there are of him not being around, he comforts us by laying them out. This chapter divides into two halves. In the first half, he comforts his disciples by sharing God's ultimate plan, and this is it. He says, longer term, we'll be together. He wants to assure them of that. In the second half, Jesus comforts us by sharing what will happen in the meantime when he's not around. He says, in the meantime, as you share in my work, you won't be alone. So his words of comfort start, with first of all, with the longer term plan. And the first thing he says is trust both of us. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, Believe also in me, trust both of us, Father and Son, God and me. Now, in this chapter, Jesus says much about his relationship with his Father and of them being with us now as well as later. And so he just begins with a very simple command, look, trust us, trust us, both of us. Trust God, trust also in me. Why, because both are working together with the one plan. And then, of course, he lays it out, verses two and three. Our plan, our plan, he says, the fa- that is the father and the son's plan for our father, son, and your long-term future. He explains why he needs to go. And then he mentions heavenly homes, and he's going to prepare a place for us, and straight away we can misunderstand we might think that what Jesus is saying is that he needs to go to start building a mansion for each of us in heaven, a kind of bespoke grand designs mansion for every disciple. Like in that Netflix series, The Good Place. All right. Now that would be a misunderstanding because when Jesus mentions a house or a mansion, it's only one. My father's house has many rooms. There's only one house. And yet within that house, there are many rooms. So the picture that we're being given is of us being together, living together, in the Father's home with him. It's a relational picture. And that is the goal. And then we think, oh well, so Jesus is going to get ready my room, isn't he? Jesus, the interior decorator. That is a misunderstanding. He doesn't say, I'm going there to the Father's mansion to prepare a place for you. He just says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The focus is on him going. Now, where is he about to go? To the cross, isn't he? It's in him going to the cross that he prepares a place for us, which he does. Because at the cross, when you think about it, he reconciles us with the Father, he pays our admission price, he cleans us up, he removes our guilt stone clothes, he washes us clean in his blood, and then he gives us his own robes of righteousness to wear. By going to the cross, Jesus prepares a place for us in our Father's house. That's why he has to go. You can't get in without him going, he has to go. But then he says, look, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm also going to come back and take you to be with me. And he's, of course, speaking about his return on the last day, and the ultimate goal is that you may also be with me in my father's house. That's the plan. And so he says, trust us. Look, our long-term plan is for us to be together. That is why I am going, but that's why I'm coming back for you. (laughs) And then he says, well, don't worry, because you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, again, when we hear that, like Thomas, we think in terms of maps and directions, don't we? Very physical. But again, we misunderstand because Jesus is speaking relationally. He says, you know the way. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Very physical, practical. Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's talking about himself being the way to the Father. Now, that is the main idea he's saying. He's not saying three separate things, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Una, dua, He's saying the main thing is the way. The reason why he's the way to the Father is because he is the truth, and the reason why he's the way to the Father is because he is the life. Have a think. For Jesus to be the way to the Father, he has to be the truth, doesn't he? In fact, he is so much the truth that he'll say the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And that makes him uniquely the way to the Father. But for him to be the way to the Father, he also needs to be the life because between us now and our Father's house is the big problem of death and judgment that follows. If Jesus is to be the way to the Father, he has to be the solution to that problem he has to be the life. So it's because Jesus is the truth and because he is the life, this is what makes him the way to God. Now, Thomas is very slow in following all of this, and who can blame him, really? <laughs> so Jesus spells it out. He says, Look, Thomas, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Father isn't different to me. Yes, we're separate persons, I'm not the Father. So we're separate persons, but we're not different persons. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now how can that be? He says, because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We indwell each other mutually, I in him and he in me. Take, for example, my words. They don't just come from me. He says they come from the Father. Or take my miracles. This is the Father who's living in me, who's doing his work through me in the miracles. We are not different to one another. Now, that means, of course, if you know Jesus, you know the way to the Father because it's him. He's it, (laughs) it's him. And you see what this means, of course, um, it means that everyone in the whole world needs to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. Because they can only come through him. Because no one else is the way. Why is no one else the way? Because no one else is the truth. And no one else is the life. Now you see what this means, don't you? It means that every other religion, when assessed according to the criteria of connecting us to the true and living God, every other religion has the word failed stamped on their report card. On his deathbed, Buddha is recorded as of saying by his followers, I have not found the truth, I am still searching. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. And he was recognized as such. Gandhi, the great Hindu figure, when he read the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible, he said, Jesus Christ is the greatest ethical teacher who has ever lived. And yet, isn't it interesting that Gandhi, though he said that, never actually became a believer in Jesus himself. So on the issues of revealing the truth about God and having an answer to death, no other religious figure actually gets close to Jesus who claimed oneness with the Father and this made him himself the sole way to God. Now that's provocative to us, to the disciples, on that night, it wasn't provocative. It was comforting. No, Jesus, they knew the way to the Father and to being with him and being with Christ together forever. That's the long-term plan. And so now, what about now in the meantime? If he's going, are we left alone? And this is our question too. Every follower of Jesus longs or has longed to be with him. You know, wouldn't it be lovely to see him, to experience his words of welcome, his comfort in your life, his healing of you, the, just the fellowship of being with him, who you know as your Lord? Well, in the second section, Jesus comforts his disciples when he's absent, in that, in the meantime, he says, As you share in my work, guess what? You will not be alone. This is his assurance. And we think, well, how is that true? And he makes a few points. He says, first of all, I'm going to answer your prayers to do my works. Now, I want you to look at verses 12 to 14. Jesus' promise there is so amazing that most of us, I think, gloss over it as too good to be true. But I want us to look at it, so please open it up and have a look, because it is astounding. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I'm just listening for the sound of all your jaws hitting the floor. You didn't hear it, he says it again. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, just in case we didn't believe it, the second time, he says it once more. He wants us to get this. Verse 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, after we've picked up our jaws from the floor where they've fallen, mouths gaping like goldfish, at this astounding promise, you begin scratching your head. Could it really be true? And you think, well, maybe this is only for super-Christians, you know, apostles or Pentecostals or missionaries. But in verse 12, Jesus is emphatic. It's not just the apostles. It's not just the Pentecostals. It's not just the missionaries. It's whoever believes in me, all believers. This is, in other words, normal Christianity, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. All believers will do it, we will share in his work. And we think, well what on earth does that mean? And straight away we go to Jesus' miracles and then we get ourselves in trouble. Because at this point in the Gospel of John, let's think, Jesus has turned water into wine in chapter 2. Chapter 4, he healed the official's son. Chapter 5, he healed the man crippled for 38 years. He has fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. He has walked on water. He has healed the man born blind. He has raised Lazarus from the dead after Lazarus had begun decomposing. Now, did Jesus here then mean that all Christians would do all of these miracles? or at least one or two of them. No, not miracles of that order. These miracles proclaim Jesus uniquely as the Son of God. That's their function. And also, where miracles are mentioned in relation to believers, we are told in the New Testament that not everyone has them, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And then he says, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? They do not. So what's Jesus mean when he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing? Well, one clue comes from the verse before, look in verse 11, where where the works Jesus himself has been doing are meant to lead to belief. And so the connection seems to be, just as my works should lead people to faith, so too whoever believes in me will do works which will lead others to faith. So, These works, which will be pointers to Jesus, which will have people believe in him. Now, these are the works Jesus speaks of all the time. These are the works which make us salt and light to the world. The the distinctive witness of of a life that transformed by belief in Jesus, marked out by grace and the love of Jesus Christ and by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The transformed life where someone can see Jesus reigning in the person and these are the works. Now, so that's the first bit. Next, Jesus says, in some way, we will all do even greater works than the works of Jesus. And we think, well, how could our works be greater than those of Jesus? Well, the answer can't be that we would do greater miracles, because how could you do greater miracles? The clue comes in verse 12, where he says, they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now we know, we've just said, he's going to the Father via the events of Easter, via the cross and the resurrection. In other words, it's because of Easter that Jesus' disciples will do greater works than he. And so we ask, in what sense does Easter enable us to do greater works than Jesus? Well, up until now, until the events of Easter, when Jesus has been declaring people's sins forgiven, he has been declaring that really on the basis of a future payment for sins which hadn't yet been made because he hadn't yet gone to the cross. But following Easter, you see what's different. His disciples can now declare people's sins forgiven on the basis of a payment that has already been made in full by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, on Good Friday. And they can make this statement with the confidence that that payment that Jesus made was accepted, and they know that because of his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a vindication that his death worked, that his payment was received in full. It was effective. Okay, the other clue comes in chapter 20 where after his resurrection, Jesus sends out his disciples with the gift of the Holy Spirit and he gives them the authority to declare people's sins forgiven. Not because they themselves have their own authority, but because of the authority that all Christians have. This is the authority of the gospel, the news of what God has now done in Jesus' death and resurrection. So the greater works which all believers can now share in are being able to declare people's sins forgiven. So that when someone hears the message of Jesus that we explain to them, and when someone turns to the Lord in repentance and trusts in him, we can do what Jesus could not do. We can declare people's sins forgiven on the basis of sins already paid for. And that life is available through his resurrection. So, This is the first comfort for us. He'll answer our prayers to do his works. That was rather long, but it needed explaining, okay? Next, you'll have the spirit as an advocate. Now, over the next few chapters, Jesus will say much about the spirit. But in verse 16, Jesus promises that he will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He'll be known by you, the one who lives with you and will be in you. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as an advocate. The Greek word is paraclete, hard to translate. Advocate, like a legal defense counselor, which when you think about it, would be very, very helpful to a disciple who is facing accusations because they have been sharing in the works of Jesus He's an advocate for you. And someone who advocates for you would also make him a comforter and a helper, which is how some of the Bibles translate that word. So here is the third person of the Godhead who comes to all of Jesus' disciples, the one who has our backs as we engage in the ministry of Jesus. He's with us as we do the work. We're not alone, he's there to help us, he's there to defend us, but more than that, through him, Jesus says, the father and the son, we, the father and the son, will make our home with you. So because of the spirit, verse 17, in us, in verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Physically, he's not inside of us, little Jesus walking around. Spiritually he is, because the spirit who is in us is also the spirit of Christ himself. So the Holy Spirit not only helps us to do the work of the gospel, he is how Christ lives with us. And he is how the Father lives with us. Verse 13, we, Father and Son, will come to them and make our home with them. So what this means is that the normal experience of all of Jesus' disciples is that through the Holy Spirit, we have fellowship with God. Verse 17, the Spirit will live with us and be in us. Verse 20, through the Spirit, Christ himself will come to us and be with us and in us. And verse 23, the Father also will make his home in us and with us, as well as the Son. What does this mean? It means while Jesus is physically absent, we are not alone. We are not alone. And finally, verses 25 to 26, the Father will give us the Spirit's words about Jesus. Now, verses 25 to 26 are addressed specifically to the disciples who were in that room that night, the 11, because Judas has already left. They're addressed to the eyewitnesses of what Jesus said and did, to them specifically, the Holy Spirit would teach them all things and remind them of everything that Jesus has said to them. And guess what? We have their words. We have their witness. In the pages of the New Testament, written by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, or those, or those very close to the apostles. Okay, this contains their witness. Meaning we have the Spirit's words about Jesus. I want you to imagine if we didn't have this, if you didn't have the New Testament. Well, we wouldn't know Jesus, would we? We couldn't believe in him, how could we? But because of the Spirit's work in the Apostles, we have the Spirit's words about Jesus. So now to draw things together, in Jesus' words of comfort to his disciples, he is comforting us in not being with us. He's saying two things. Number one, longer term, guess what, guys? We are going to be together. That's the plan. Secondly, in the meantime, as we share in his work, we're not alone. The Spirit will come to us, and in him too, so to Jesus and the Father. What's the application? Well, the application is right at the beginning Do not let your hearts be troubled. Um, Don't be troubled that Jesus isn't with us now, physically. How do you do that? Well number one, trust in God and trust also in Jesus. Both of them have the longer term plan for us to be with them. Both of them are with us now in the meantime through his spirit. He's saying trust, trust both. Trust both the Father and the Son. When we feel that God is far away or when we ache in our being, longing for Christ to come. You know, when you come, Lord Jesus, trust them, turn to them in prayer. Come to your Father through the Son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Come to him. Pour your heart out. Thank him for his promise. Ask for patience and grace to wait. Trust him, right? Second, obey. We left out these verses, but much of the application of the promises is Jesus telling his disciples to obey him. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So obey him. Now it makes sense, if the Lord God, Father and Son and Spirit, make their home in us, it is incomprehensible that we would keep consciously sinning against God. Right? Now what does that mean? That means repentance must be a daily occurrence in our life, mustn't it? You don't just repent once when you become a Christian. You repent every single day of your life. When you are aware of sin, you you put it behind you. You come to the cross, kneel and ask for forgiveness, and you change your life around again and again and again and again. Because you know what happens if you don't, right? Your hearts get troubled, Because you begin worrying about Jesus coming back. It's not something to look forward to. It's something to be afraid of. You worry about what your father might say to you. Okay. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So how do we not let them be troubled? We obey him. Okay. Thirdly, we guard ourselves with the peace of Christ that the gospel gives us of having our sins forgiven by him. Verse 27, Jesus' last words, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Peace. Father in heaven, thank you so much for these words of Jesus and how relevant they are to us when he is not physically with us. Thank you for the bigger plan that we will be together with you, our Heavenly Father, and with your mighty Son in the fellowship of the Spirit. We look forward to that day when Jesus comes, but in the meantime, we give you thanks and praise that we are not left alone. And so help us, Father, to trust, to obey and to hang on to the peace of the gospel. Amen.